Welcome to the Divine Rhyme, a music podcast with culture, with Will Hogsett and Dylan Hughes, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Another week down, another week of Schoolboy Q. It's your boy, Will Hogsett, joined, as always, by the man himself, Dylan Hughes. Hughes, how have you been this week? Man, this has been a great week. This, you know, from from the podcast standpoint, I mean, this might, well, KOD and Four Your Eyes Only was a great week, right? Mm -hmm. But this week, man, and we FaceTimed about this the other day, just going back and forth between these records, it's like, I, I can't figure out which which one I like more. I don't know what the hell my favorite song is. Like, there's a lot of good contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's been a fun week for me. Yeah, it's been a fun week for fun week for me as well, Hughes. Um, to kind of start on that note, I did a Twitter poll uh, yesterday for my followers, and I said, "Tough one for my schoolboy Q fans. What's the better album, Blank Face or Oxymoron?" Surprisingly, to my surprise, uh, Oxymoron won seventy to thirty. So, what's your take on that, Hughes? Yeah, I mean, I think that's ultimately where I would lie too. It's just, it's a little slow in the beginning, I would say, but man, like the fourth or fifth track, it really picks up and just doesn't fall off from there. And it's, it's, I think it's the embodiment of Q like that's in the, in some of the other stuff we've seen him experiment a little bit more like in blank face, mm-hmm. which I think worked out for him. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're looking for Q sound, oxymoron represents it completely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think the experimentation is kind of what I, why I'd probably lean towards blank face a little bit more you get like some guitar uh just a lot of different sounds whereas if you're talking about like a schoolboy q gangster rap album you know oxymoron is definitely i think his his uh forest hills drive if you would you know um but i do before we get started into oxymoron i was having a conversation with caleb lynn host of the lynn sanity and he said (laughs) hold up he he said would you rate Q in the top five of TDE artists? I'm like, man, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I mean, he, they're all different. They're all different. But he was like, you know, I, I think Caesar. I mean, of course, uh, Kendrick Lamar. He said he liked uh, Isaiah Rashad. And I like, I like a little bit of Isaiah Rashad. I haven't heard him too much. But um, so that's why I'm going to start with you, Q, uh, Hughes. What, what's your top five TDE off the top? Yeah, he actually hit me with that same thing. Really? And it was uh I'm not surprised. Like knowing knowing Caleb's music taste. Mm-hmm. Again, as we talked about last week, Q is not for everyone. I completely understand why. He's a very unique rapper and like the that that kind of old West Coast style isn't just it's not as popular anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so I can understand why he doesn't like him too much but for me i think it's probably like in order i would say probably kendrick one q2 um and then he he said sir and like that was like damn Mm -hmm. sir probably is he may be three Mm -hmm. i'm still kind of waiting on him on a, a full out like no skip type album from him which we haven't seen yet but he's close i think uh he he's really good and then, and then J Rock and SZA. I mean, it's just and like you're leaving some good ones off with that, mm-hmm. um, including Isaiah Rashad. But yeah, TDE is just so deep, man. Like I can understand why. I mean, aside from Kendrick, I think you could really leave anyone off the list, and like it makes sense because they just have such a full roster. Yeah, Kendrick's I think no doubt number one. Just I mean, if you have someone that has it all, he's got the flow, he's got the kind of content. But that's the difference between Q. It's and that's why Q I think makes Q so special. To give you my top five, I'd probably put SZA just based on her lone album, Sir, and then Isaiah Rashad after Q and Kendrick. Um, but 
what makes Q so special is that he's not grabbing the audience necessarily by uh, like content driven songs. Like when I heard Oh three adolescence by J Cole, I'm like, Holy shit, man, this guy is absolutely like talking about some real stuff and telling it in a beautiful storytelling way. Uh, Q's just able to sound so good in a, in an hour and 17 minute track or uh, track list where you can't kind of give it up. You can't, put the put your headphones down and i think that's what separates q and tde as we mentioned they all kind of talk they all kind of work together and so you get a lot of the same not sounding stuff but you get a lot of interaction in between them and so they've obviously been able to build like a uh, a chemistry that that they definitely just hit you know and i think you definitely see that in these two albums um, so why don't we go ahead and start with Oxymoron, our first um, Q album released February 25th, 2014. Uh, I thought the intro Gangsta was pretty good. It sets, it sets the tone for the album and uh, his little, his daughter who kind of narrates it the whole, throughout the whole uh, tracks, track list is pretty good as well. So and I, I know you mentioned you didn't necessarily love the beginning um and i didn't like the i didn't necessarily like the lost awesome uh song as well but other than that man it's 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 tough to skip so what were your initial reactions for uh oxymoron yeah i actually really like gangsta too mm-hmm. i mean it, i think this is his best album as far as like hooks and mm-hmm. choruses I mean, gangsta, gangsta, gangsta. Like, how does that not pull you in? You know, yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's just a really, really fun way to start off the record, and I, I do think it falls. That's where the fall off, I think, is. Mm-hmm. Low's awesome. It's fine. You know, it's, it's just a little underwhelming, I would say. Um, Collard Greens, which any GTA Five fans will recognize this one. That's, <laughs> that's a uh, pretty frequent in the playlist. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's another. It's like. It's fine. It's it's kind of like a radio type of song, um, which you know we're gonna see throughout these two records. There's a handful of them, which again, these big guys they have to have the radio song, so you kind of just have to live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Collar Greens, I don't think is a bad song. And then what they want, it's hard for me to diss a two chains uh, feature. Okay. It's not terrible. It's not terrible, but two chains, man. Look at some of his features. Like his, some of his features are insane. I mean, okay. all me, Drake, and Big Sean, thirty five hundred yeah. with Travis Scott. Okay, I'm gonna you stop know. you there. I'm gonna stop you there. I didn't. Um, I didn't necessarily like the what they want as well. And for some reason, just my whole life, whenever I see a two chains feature, I mean, all me, like you mentioned, is good. I didn't love thirty five hundred. I didn't love this feature really? thirty five hundred. Yeah, I mean, that's a banger song. But whenever I hear it must be something with his flow that I just personally don't like. But whenever I hear, hear 3,500, I hear that Travis kind of hook chorus, I'm like, shit, this is a good song. And then 2 Chains comes in and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I just, there's just some lines in that, in his feature, like drinking breast milk got a lean cup. Who the mm-hmm. fuck is going to say that shit, you know? <laughs> no, Just he does. Wall He's shit. extra. I will say, he is extra. <laughs> I I just, I've always loved 2 chains, and, and um, you know, the 3500, I, I just think that's an all-timer for me personally. Mm-hmm. But, but um, and by the way, I, I gave all me some praise on Twitter like a month ago. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, what a fucking masterpiece of a song. Yeah. And... And our friend uh, mentioned on Twitter, Drew Hanson, that it's it's totally a Drake thing to call a song "All Me" and then have two features on it. I <laughs> thought that was a hilarious <laughs> comment. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I didn't think this. Uh, I didn't think this was. I mean, it was. It's it's a fine song. Like it's not something that you hate, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just it's just kind of whatever. Um, all me back onto the all me real quick. I love, I mean, you like that song initially when it comes out and then you just hear it so much that I, it kind of wears out on you. At least for me personally, it did, but then coming back at it, um, a couple years later or whatever, however long it takes, then you really start to appreciate it more. 
And I think that it's similar to a song on this album, Oxymoron Studio, which I have a funny story uh, kind of about Studio, which is a absolute banger. I mean, you want to talk about him figuring out the production, him figuring out his flow. Uh, studio just kind of puts it all together. But I used to, the song Studio takes me back to like my sophomore year in high school when I was uh, playing tennis and <laughs> every single day, every single day I'd pull up to the tennis courts for practice playing studio and have it timed perfectly for the bass drop. And I'd have it turned all the way up and we'd be walking out, stepping out to studio, just <laughs> throwing our rackets around in the air. And so that was a, originally my only um, experience with this album honestly, because it was a radio song and I've been kind of like a radio song kind of guy my whole life. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about studio more, but prescription slash oxymoron, the next song, I mean, you want to talk about getting the production right, the switch up. And that's what he does um, from when you look at this album and Blank Face compared to uh, Habits and Contradictions and Setbacks. He really starts uh, kind of experimenting with with the production and in this one he stays experimenting with gangster like the gangster rap kind of genre but then you start seeing a lot of like guitar and other things like that in um blank face and so i i know you you sent me this song prescription slash oxymoron and you're like man this one is different and when i heard it i mean i just stopped selling crack today hey. <laughs> so what's your take on it Hughes? Yeah, and exact that is a exactly what I was gonna say because like that's that's another example of the hook. Yeah, you know, just just fucking pulls you in. But listen, okay, so I first listened to this album in full when I was cutting the grass last week. So I got the headphones in, you know, and and the headphones I have have pretty decent bass. So this song mm-hmm. really really hits you. But man, you start off with prescription, which is just a heartbreaking Absolutely. two minutes. Absolutely. Where, you know, you get, as you mentioned, you get his daughter Joy in the mix where he's like, you know, passed out on drugs and she's like, wake up, like what's wrong? And like, it literally almost brought me to tears. Mm-hmm. It's like, talk about painting a picture. I yeah. mean, it was just devastating to hear that. And, you know, the stuff he talks about where he's like, he gets a call from his producer in the studio and he goes out to go to the studio and it's night and he like, doesn't even know it's night cause he's been passed out all day. And you know, he's denying calls from his daughter, from his mom. Like he's like, if you don't sell drugs then I don't hear the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it just paints such a great picture of that life and, and the negatives to it. And obviously, you know, this, uh, I think this song represents the album as a whole because oxymoron is like a play on words, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, from the grammatical standpoint, oxymoron is like a contradiction. And in this sense, he's, he's talking about oxys because he used to sell oxys and like how he was a moron for that. Like that's mm-hmm. something that he's even clung to in the music today, uh, how he was an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the song and, the first two minutes you get the the heartbreaking side of it and then you flip right over to oxymoron where man does that does the the mood turn up all of a sudden from going that to that devastating uh sound to to really like hype a lot of bass and it's like you know i just stopped selling crack today because it wasn't as profitable i'm i'm selling the oxys like that's the life Mm -hmm. and and you know turning back to the the drug dealing life and that side of it and as something I mentioned last week, I think Hugh, his ability to deliver like a short, punchy line might be second to none. Like his, his flow is so quick, but it's so impactful. Mm-hmm. And like there was one, and this is, you know, I feel like we're going to talk about J. Cole in every podcast we do. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's just who we are, I think. Yeah. But, you know, something that J. Cole talked a lot about was basically the uh the enslavement of of black people in modern modern day where it's more mentality driven mm-hmm. and and schoolboy q had a line vanity slave got whips and chains mm-hmm. and it's like man like six words tells a whole story you know just just more building on top of what cole was saying how like 
a lot of black people get money and all they know is spending it on cars and jewelry. And that's, you know, another thing that keeps them down. So, and this is something that he talks about throughout too, with more of the mentality stuff. And he doesn't go as deep as Jay Cole does, but it's, it's telling either way. Um, and then oxymoron as well. You know, how could they say feeling good is an addiction, but the world is full of shit. So I don't listen. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's more of the, the oxymoron part where it's just a contradiction where everyone wants to talk about feeling good in life, but a lot of people have to turn to pills to that. So it's yeah. like, it, it just doesn't make sense. And that's, that's what Q I think is getting at with this song. Yeah. So we talk a lot about how Q has to kind of carry an audience based on the sound of a song in comparison to the content, which I think in these two albums, you kind of see it flip a little bit to an extent where he's still kind of talking about that gangster life, but he's talking more about the issues and the, the stuff that, the stuff in a bad way that that's brought to him. And so I was going to ask you, do you think that this uh, prescription slash oxymoron song, do you think that this is like the, the flip to an extent and the bass is the bass is there that, or the, the, the beat switch is there. And that's what I kind of picked up. But do you think that this is like the flip of the mindset of Q? And do you think that this is kind of as deep as he gets, or do you think that there's a little bit more in this album? Well, one that was a few tracks earlier, Hoover Street, um, I think was the start really of kind of the realizations he's having about the street life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hoover Street talks a lot about him growing up. And, you know, he talks about his uncle a few times who has to move in with them because his wife divorced him or whatever. And this dude is like addicted to drugs. And he's, you know, any, any money he gets is going to drugs. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, like, he made schoolboy Q drink whiskey so he could pee in the cup so he would pass a test, you know? Um, and it's like, it's just, that's, that's the first look I think we get at really how he grew up. And, you know, in the prior records, he talked a little bit about the background, but I think in Hoover street and, you know, prescription oxymoron, you see really deeper how he got started in all this and how it started when he was young. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what song, I think it's later where he talks about, he was like 11 or 12 when he first saw his cousin kill someone. And like, that's when it all started for them. It's like, man, there's just, there's so many points in this album where, you know, there's definitely some songs later on, especially that are radio hit type of things, or they're just kind of, you know, hype type of music. But there's a handful of tracks that are just really introspective and a really good look at where he came from and why he has to battle these demons that he's battling now. Yeah, it's almost like he's got out of, uh, he started to make a little bit of money off of the music and he's not necessarily in that, uh, drug dealing life so he's not rapping about he's not like rapping and bragging about it right he's more talking since he's had this money from music since he's kind of been able to get off the streets to an extent he's had more of a realization of what what it's like uh out there because like you mentioned a lot of the a lot of the tendencies are just built from birth they're built from the day that these guys grow up and uh, luckily for Q, it's like he's he's finally being able to ha- have the ability to not be in survival mode um, and like dealing drugs on the street all the time. And now he has the ability to kind of take a look back at the, the benefits and the, the, the issues that come with it. And so um, we talked about how Q is really good at placing... Um, placing features on the album what did you think about the eighth track the purge with tyler the creator and are you a tyler was, the guy are you a tyler the creator guy i'm not a huge tyler creator guy i like some of the stuff um and i can see why him and q would mesh mm-hmm. and like there's there is a segment of rap that's very different and I think Schoolboy Q is the leader of that pack, but he's just more mainstream. So the sound relates a lot more. 
But like, I think of like Tyler, the creator and Earl sweatshirt, right? Those are two mm-hmm. guys that are, they're very grimy like Q, but they don't really ever get away from that. They kind of just stick with it. And for me personally, it can kind of wear a bit. Like I like Q's griminess, but he's able to flip it a lot. So it's not, it doesn't really get at you and it's not like as depressing, <laughs> I would mm-hmm. say to listen to. Um, but I like this song because it's very unique and like it has a it has like a siren in the background constantly, mm-hmm. which I think an old version of me would probably hate that. But right now I think it's kind of interesting. It's something you never hear in music in general. And that's something that we've seen with these two records is he experimented a lot with sound. Like he went all over the place and I don't think he ever made any mistakes that were like really a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think this fit in pretty well with the theme of the album, because again, it's a lot of crime. You know, there's a lot of crime stories in there and to have a siren in the background, kind of like that's almost like what they always have in the back of their head is that siren because they're always committing crimes. Right. And you're always worried about hearing that siren. So I kind of I kind of like that from a concept standpoint. I, I I like that track. Yeah, that's what that's what really picks up for me on this album compared to the first two that we looked through. Uh, the experimentation with sound and adding production as more of a conceptual idea compared to just making it sound good. And I think another moment where you see some of that production that we're speaking of is Hell of a Night and Hell of a Night, Break the Bank, Man of the Year. Those three. Those three in a row are just, man, man. And you would talk about kind of getting the flow, getting the hooky, hooky choruses. Uh, so I know uh, Hell of a Night was probably one of my favorites. Um, and then Man of the Year, but Break the Bank as well. I think they're all kind of like similar songs. And so I was wondering what your take was on those, Hughes. Yeah, I like those three too. And, and every time I get into that little three – rotation of those three I always get kind of excited because you know it that that's kind of the point where you can kind of just sit back and relax you know you don't have to to really dive deep into anything mm-hmm. um so man of the year <laughs> that was probably the first Q song I ever listened to and it was by accident because my initial days of listening to music and rap in general you know I'm a white boy like mm-hmm. I started off with logic I, I don't oh. think that's a uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people can really relate to that, but logic has a song called man of the year, which I think I I've outgrown logic, but I still like that song a lot. Um, but every time I would look that up on YouTube, schoolboy cues would come up and I'm like, man, get this shit out of here. Like, I don't want to hear schoolboy Q <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to listen to logic, man. Um, but so that was the first one I, I probably heard from him. And you know it's a little repetitive in the chorus, but again, it's it's a it's a radio type song. It's I, I still really enjoy it. I think my favorite of the three is "Break the Bank," though. Mm-hmm. I just I just love that track, and it's just something I could I could put on all the time. And it's like the la di do la di da di da di do. You know, like it's just it's again it's a very unique thing that you're never gonna see from another rapper, mm-hmm. and it's. Again, it's just experimentation. I think he did a really good job with it at this part. Um, and Hell of a Night, too. It's, you know, one thing I noticed from this, and you see it more on Blank Face, is there's almost like some EDM type of influence on some of the music. Mm-hmm. Like Hell of a Night is kind of just like, you're like waiting for a bass drop, right? Yeah. And that's that's not something you see in rap a lot. It's kind of just pretty consistent bass throughout but hell of a night you're like waiting for that bass to drop and i don't like edm personally but waiting for the bass to drop on that song is really fun Mm -hmm. like you know you do the little hand thing where you like you know drop Mm -hmm. it right when the bass drops and it's it's just a fun time yeah man so and i'm not gonna go to the head the head uh knocking or whatever that the edm folks are doing but uh it's a fun time either way no i'm not gonna lie man especially with this out uh this little three song medley i mean my head is going back and forth because i'm driving around a car delivering pizzas most of the time when i'm doing this 
And so I really, I'm really just like in a mindset where find, find the address, get an idea where it is and then turn the, turn the tunes up. And so that's why I kind of like, I like these bumpy tracks and that that's what it kind of is. And I really love the, uh, baseline. I don't think it's, is it a sample? It's like some high melodic kind of, uh, line that kind of entrances you into the song. Uh, but then after, uh, these three tracks, I think this album kind of picks up, a, takes on a little lo-fi vibe, kind of like a, a lower, um, not necessarily downbeat vibe, but just kind of a, uh, a more chill, relaxed kind of vibe. And I think you get that because you have two songs back to back with SZA. Um, and Grooveline Part 2 hit. I like this one a little bit better than Grooveline Part 1. Um, but I was wondering uh, kind of what you, what you thought about the, the transition from Man of the Year into this low, lower kind of sounding part of the album. Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. And this was something we talked about last week where we were interested to see if there was like a roller coaster type experience. Mm-hmm. And listen, I think in music, you have to have a roller coaster on your album for it to be relatable. Because, you know, we, we spent time bashing the baby last week and, <laughs> and the modern that. day, the <laughs> modern day rappers. And it's like, listen, think about it. The baby's never gonna have a sad song, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's not life. I I kind of look like to look at album and an album as an experience. And the experience of life is up and down. It's not consistently bad or consistently good. And that's what I like when a record could do is take it through that roller coaster. And you know, having three songs that are up, and then you come down for for two more that are you know lower like you mentioned and listen, his and her fiend, first of all, it from a concept standpoint is really interesting because it's like Q is taking on the personality of like drugs, trying to convince, you know, SZA who's on the other end of it, the, the drug fiend mm-hmm. that like that she needs him. And I, I would like to imagine like from a drug, someone that's addicted to drugs, like, that's kind of that voice you have in your head is like that pill speaking to you like you need it and you know you just give into it and and you know building off of prescription i think it's i think it's a great compliment where you're seeing like more more of the narrative from people that are addicted and also the people that are selling the drugs and it's you know from a narrative standpoint i think is really good um and obviously you're going to have a lower frequency to it because it's kind of like a, a sadder topic. And then Grooveline Part 2, man. Talk about a hook. Mm-hmm. Will you sell that pussy for me? Mm-hmm. Will you sell that? I mean, come on, man. Like, it's just, a, it's just really soothing almost, really, like, relaxing to sit back and listen to that. Just, like, I, I can't think of a way to describe it other than groovy, you know? Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why it's called groove line. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a really uh, interesting song. And again, this one has content too. Like it's talking about hooking and mm-hmm. prostitution. That's something that Q talks about consistently as one of the bad things he saw growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think it, he even almost, he doesn't really admit it, but I think he would say that's part of the reason why, you know, maybe it, it maybe influenced some of the ways he acts with women and, you know, some of the, the sex stuff that he talks about, I think is kind of related by just seeing it so much when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't remember if it was on this song or on Blank Face, but there's a song he has about, you know, women stopping traffic because like there's, you see, constantly see cars stopping because there's hookers on every corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's like a very groovy type song. It also tells a story too. And so I got a quick question about you as, uh, for Q as a whole, as an artist, you know, in the first two albums, I really think a lot of the ideas between songs mesh together. Like we mentioned, uh, did, did you feel the same about this album? Because me personally, I feel like he's really gotten, uh, used to making a singular song and fitting it into an album as a whole rather than 
kind of just putting an album together about the same kind of similar ideas. Yeah, I think he did. I think the track placement and, and inclusion was really good on all this because he's lucky enough that he he's building off of this narrative of his childhood and, and the, the gang banging, right? Mm-hmm. So he can kind of get away with a lot of these songs because there's definitely a lot of the songs tailored to that where he's talking about killing and selling drugs and all that. And that fits the narrative. Like it, it may kind of wear on you a little bit, but that's, that's what he wants to go for. That's who he is. You know, that's what he came from. So I think it's important to have that side of it. And on the flip side, he, he gave the flip side to it where he's talking about the negatives of all that stuff. So I, I think it was a really good balance. What else you got for this album? I, I liked Fuck L.A. Um, but I also kind of want to talk talk about the album art because there's some differences in the uh, there's some differences in the deluxe version to the uh, extended version where in the uh, um, or the deluxe version to the original version and in the original version it's a picture of his face just kind of like in a chin up kind of bragging kind of mood and then you get the deluxe version and he's got a hood on and I think that kind of I mean it's an oxymoron right I think that that kind of put together the album uh as a whole as well so I wanted to know if you had a take on that yeah it's it's definitely interesting and and I noticed that because I mean you go to the different genius pages and there's like a handful of different cover arts mm-hmm. and it's I think that's something you might see a little bit with other guys but this one is is different and I mean I think you know as you mentioned it kind of goes hand in hand with the oxymoron thing where there's parts of this album where he's kind of you know bragging about what he's done and what he's achieved and that kind of goes to the original one where it's like head up you know chin up I'm I'm the man type of thing but then you got the one where you know he's got like a white mask on and a white hat. He's like almost trying to cover his face, mm-hmm. which perfectly leads into blank face, by the way, mm-hmm. um, where he's you know covering his face up. And yeah, I, I think it it tells that story where it's like you know part of you wants to to kind of bask in your glory, and the other side is like, man, like that's that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be, and I'm kind of blending in with the crowd at this point because i'm just another drug dealer on the street Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i thought that was a really interesting way to go about it as well um there's a chant song i can't remember what it is that says uh, i think it's the one on uh, his third but his first like actual album um coloring book where he's like am i the only person that cares about cover art and so what I think I think a lot of the great artists kind of put a lot of effort into the cover art. And so I was wondering, kind of like with J. Cole's 2014 Forest Sales Drive, uh, I mean, Born Center, we didn't talk about uh, the cover art for Born Center at all. So what does cover art add to you? Uh, and if it does add anything to the, the listening slash experience of taking in an album? <laughs> Personally, I, I am, I'm always going to be a guy that's going to focus on the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say cover art's less important now that like physical records and discs aren't really, you know, you don't need to grab someone with the cover art necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's as important as it used to be, but it definitely is. It can be important. Um, it's, I think it's like a complimentary thing to the story. Yeah. And, you know, if you can't, maybe you can't figure out what the album's going to be about from the cover art, but sometimes you'll look back like this one, for example, you'll look back after you listen to it. It's like, Oh, I see where he was going with that, you know? So it's almost like maybe a a little bit of foreshadowing Mm -hmm. to it, but at the same time, I'm thinking about dirty Sprite too from, from future Mm -hmm. where it's literally just a white background and like purple and blue, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's just color, a bunch of color. And like, that's always a record I'm going to recognize by that thing. And like the, the cover art doesn't tell a story at all for that record, (laughs) but 
it's still recognizable. So I, I'm not sure if, if it necessarily has to tell a story or not, but it, it can be important. But sometimes, again, if you're future, you can kind of just get away with throwing a bunch of colors onto a white canvas and, and that works. So sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, so going into blank face, I know you mentioned that that kind of tells a story. The cover art tells a story on that. What, what's your take on uh, the cover art or the blank face? Yeah, that's another really interesting one where it's like, it's just a bunch of, it's almost even hard to recognize what the cover art is at first. It's kind of like a wooded area with like a sunset in the back or something. There's like, you're like looking through some trees type of thing. And there's like a, you know, couple black dots on there. And then you see, you know, the guy with the mask on, basically the sunglasses. And, you know, he, he makes like a Tony Montana reference on there, which I think you could kind of see what the cover are. It's like, it's, it's even after listening to it, it's kind of hard exactly what he's trying to say with blank face. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what exactly does blank face mean? And it's something man, I tried to figure out yesterday and it's like, I just don't know if I can quite nail it down. What exactly he's meaning. I would like to think that he's kind of talking about, you know, people that just kind of cover who they are and like they do bad things and they just, you know, want to hide themselves. That's what I want to think it is, but I'm not really sure exactly, but the cover art, that's, that's kind of what I get from it is like people lurking in the shadows. Yeah, no, I could see that. And me being a record I mean, I have an actual record player, and so I, I I grab records every once in a while. I think that does add a little extra to my experience because having those records and having the different colors or uh, kind of ideas displayed and just kind of looking at them definitely adds a bit to my listening experience. But let's let's go into the music on Blank Face a little bit. It was released about two years later on July 8th of 2016. And right off the bat, we talk about features, man, this Anderson pack feature. I know we talked about it uh, off air a couple days ago, but this Anderson pack feature on torch and the song as a whole, I kind of, I think kind of sets a tone for the sound that Q was going for in this album and compared to oxymoron. I think the, kind of start of this album as a whole really, really just grabs the audience's attention. Yeah. I mean, the Anderson Pac is, is like a really, he has an interesting part in this album mm-hmm. um, where he's, cause he has a very like kind of high voice, which I think is a good alternative to schoolboys, more grimy sound. And, you know, you kind of get that right off the bat with, him where you know i'll trade the noise for a piece of divine which is another line he says later that i think is a great line where you know just trading in all the bullshit for for kind of spirituality and um i I think it's a good way to kick off the record but right after that you know the the beat kind of turns a little bit and you get the uh from schoolboy q that we all know and love and he just go starts going off from there i mean it's and then I think later on it even flips back when, when Anderson Pot comes back in, you know, it's just, it, it's a bunch of, there's like two or three different sounds in this, in this first song. And it, it's like, talk about a way to hook you in, man. It's just yeah. like, it, it's like a song that almost shakes you because there's just so many different directions to it. And it's, I really enjoyed it. And then Lord have mercy. You kind of, kind of start seeing the more content driven song. Uh, although right after that, you have that part, which is, of course, one of the best songs on the album. I mean, that's, you want to talk, that's like a similar to the studio vibe where no matter how often it's played, you just got to listen to it and just vibe to it. Although I didn't love the Kanye. I mean, it kind of adds, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these features kind of go out of their lane when they come with Q, Q to kind of add add something to Q's dynamic because, I mean, with Kanye West and then even... Uh, Pac and then maybe Staples to an extent their individual albums are a lot a lot different but whenever it seems like they come into Q's albums into Q's lane they adjust based on that yeah 
the the Kanye feature is it's I don't know mm-hmm. I, I I've never been a huge fan of that one mm-hmm. but I mean that part is obviously one that's gonna grab you every time and by the way there's a remix of this on YouTube worth checking out um, I think Kendrick and maybe J Rock get in on it the the black hippie remixes do do some research on them they're all good mm-hmm. <laughs> they they all those four are just so good together um so that's off off the record obviously um but you know and lord have mercy going back to that as you mentioned kind of a a little bit of a more introspective song from him and there was a few lyrics i wrote down um so this was i didn't talk about this last record but blind threats from the last one was a song where he's he's kind of starting to doubt god a little bit in like the bible mm-hmm. and how he um you know the the people that live the best lives are always the ones committing the most crime and doing the most wrong and that's something that he saw a lot obviously uh where he grew up and I think Lord have mercy is like almost a little bit of a different version of that. Um, but he still has the doubts. Like he says, being real, never once bought the groceries. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, it's one thing. It's that's one thing that's so tough about being a human that like wants to be good is you could trade, you can, you can basically sell your soul for anything. Right. And mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of returns on that, but you know, when your day of judgment comes, is it going to be worth it? And I think that's something that he kind of has an inner conflict with where he's got to, he's got to buy the groceries and he doesn't want to do wrong, but he almost feels like he's pressured to. Um, and then also this is the first time where he's, well, I guess break the bank was, was kind of the first time, but um, he also talks about, you know, transitioning to music from, from the street life. Mm-hmm. And he has a line that says, working to fail was better than bullet holes in my shirt. And he's like, you know, I'd rather fail at music than be killed, basically. It's like, I'd rather be a failure at what I love than, than die in the streets because I know that's what was going to happen. Um, so just, I, I, and it's a short song, but I think it's, it's chock full of introspection. And then you get, see, with this album, I really, I really, this is more, and we talked about this a lot in the last pod. For me, it's kind of like a a mood-based album. Whereas with J. Cole, and we we go back to J. Cole, but it's kind of similar to Drake, just in different, in different kind of genres where I listen to this album, I throw this album on and I try, and I just kind of, escape escape into the vibe right and so i'm obviously uh, more of a vibe kind of guy but i liked uh know you're wrong i liked the ride out with uh vince staples um and again it's just like i really i really like how q is able to kind of throw you on a roller coaster with his with his with his sound with his uh flow with his production to an extent um but what what in this kind of what song in this middle middle chunk of the album stood out to you yeah there's a handful um i think the middle section it really picks up but like as far as the is the mood i mean it does bounce around a lot like groovy tony slash eddie kane is and i call this a grime classic when you mm-hmm. throw Jadakiss on there, I mean, I can't think of I can't think of two grimier rappers than those two. I, I think they complemented each other really well. Um, and Jadakiss like almost sounds like an older version of Schoolboy Q. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think that that was a really nice um, compliment for them too. But you know, you get that, and then you know, know you're wrong is a little bit slower uh, type of thing. And then ride out, obviously Ben Staples, anything with Ben Staples is going to be really in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, whatever you want, I really like very, very upbeat. And mm-hmm. this is another one where it's, it's almost like the instrumental isn't even, isn't even from rap. It's like, a, yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't want to say it's EDM, 
but it's it's something else and i can't really put my finger on where it comes from but it's it's very upbeat it's still got the bass and, and the quicker pace to it but very different and then you know by any means is great too dope dealer like there's just a that i think there's like that whole middle section is just really good and it's for all different reasons like they they just bounce around a lot to a different mm-hmm. type of mood but you're still encapsulated the whole time I think my favorite song on this album, I don't know, I've got, I go back and forth, but I really love the Kendrick kind of chorus feature and you can fuck my bitch, you can have my hoe. Like that, yes. whenever, whenever, I, whenever I listen to Schoolboy Q, that, that's, that's what stands out to me. Those, those kind of moments, those short kind of chorus-like, even though it's a pre-chorus, just, man, that, that is such a vibe. That is such a groove. Uh, and you get the same kind of in John um, Weir. And then um, Straight Ballin' is probably my favorite. And it, it's, again, it's another one. It's another case of straight ballin' like a biatch. You know, and he gets that all, you, you get that a lot with Schoolboy Q. And it's just so, so much, so different with his flow, with his uh, production. But the thing about Schoolboy Q compared to a lot of the other rappers that we're going to go into and i mean J-, J cole kind of obviously since he's the only one that we've done so far is a lot of individual moments kind of stand out for uh q to me that whenever i hear it again i'm like oh fuck yes man and so i was wondering what what is that what is that ability that he has is it just an understanding of how to make a kind of vibe or is it, uh, is it just as, is, is, is it his delivery? Just simply his delivery. Yeah, I think his delivery has 90% to do with it. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, he's such like an in-your-face rapper, and he's so quick and punchy with his, with his words. And, I mean, I, I mentioned this last week, but pretty much every line that he has, like looking through Genius – they're all like less than 10 words. He's just so good at, at being quick and punchy and like, whether it's a slow song or a fast song, Mm -hmm. he just grabs you with that quick punchiness and, and the lyrics never feel wasted. Like there's just, there could be like a four line lyric that's just really good. And like, it tells the story just like that. Um, So I, I almost want to say his songwriting is even a little bit underrated. Which, which may be a little bit controversial because he's not known for that type of thing. But I just think the way he writes lyrics are so good. And he's like um, what they used to always say in English class, like, show me, don't tell me. Yeah. That, I, that, that's what I take away from his music is he will tell you a story without really telling you a story. Like, he'll kind of skirt around. Like I said earlier with there's girls on the street stopping traffic. Like he's not telling you they're hooking, but you mm-hmm. know, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just one example of, of what he does. And it's, it's just so good. And like John Muir, which by the way, apparently this was completely freestyled is what he said, which just pretty shocking uh, mm-hmm. that he was able to pull that off. Cause I think it's one of the best songs on the album, but you know, bailing through the motherfucking street, y'all. Like, how does that not hook you right away? And again, he's, you know, he's, he's not exactly telling you what he's doing. He's showing you. Mm -hmm. And I I just think, you know, we talked about J Cole's storytelling where he's, he's telling us his life, Mm -hmm. but I think schoolboy Q, he really shows us what happened better than anyone. I think I've ever seen. No, that's a great take, Hughes. That really is. That that is a really good take. I think you you nailed it right on the head. And I think again, another. I think the best way to describe Q is punchy. Like what, every single song, you get some sort of like a, a a kick to the gut where you're like, "Damn, this this sounds good." And I know you mentioned Blank Face, the title track, a little bit earlier, but that's another just example of like the punching Blank Face. <laughs> you know, you get the blank face the whole time. And it's it's weird how that kind of stuff just entraps an audience and grabs an audience. And like, man, I, ju- I just want to hear more and more. Because like I mentioned uh, in the last pod, I didn't, I hadn't experienced Q uh, a whole lot before going into, de- into detail with it. And it's just like, man, 
it's not the same punch every time. It's not the same punch every time. He, he, he differentiates his flow. He differentiates the sound. And I mean, that's, that's what I take away from Q the most. It's like every single song I hear it and I recognize like, Oh shit, that's man. I love that. I, I love that every single time. And they're all so much different. And so, you know, we talked about kind of the, the content kind of meshing in the first couple of albums and we talked about him picking it up uh individualizing the content but one thing that q's all always kind of had is a individualized sound within within the song individualized punch and so um going on with that at the end of this album is there any other tracks that kind of stood out to you that you want to mention yeah so black thoughts was another one i liked i mean as i mentioned earlier with with the the mentality that a lot of these people get in the street life, uh, some of the negatives and and how it, you know, spins you into this cycle. That was another thing he talked about uh, in this track, just the the cycle of the gang life and and what it does and how, you know, the, the people like him that were 12 years old and and getting into it, you know, they're going to get older and they're going to get another 12 year old involved. And then it's going to be a cycle. Mm -hmm. And, Luckily, Q was able to break out of it, obviously, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, I kind of like, I mean, he had a song in, uh, called Cycle, and I, I think it might it was uh, Habits and Contradictions or Setbacks, and that's kind of just another look into, into that as well. Yeah, exactly. So this is something he's talked about on a handful of songs at this point, and it's, I mean, it's very necessary to the conversation that, you know, this this is not something you break easily. And a lot of, a lot of his music has, has shown that overcoming these demons is not easy. Mm-hmm. And even, even when he's seen the success with rap, he still has some of the, the, the feelings of where he grew up and where he wants to, you know, take someone out if they're coming at him or he almost has like the, the habit cooked in him to go, you know, hit the corner and and sell some drugs. And it's like, even when he's gotten to this point, he still has that in him. And this is kind of a song on, you know, the negatives to it and the karma that comes from it when, you know, you know, if you kill someone, like it's going to come back to you in some way. That's, that's kind of what he's getting at. And again, a lot of, a lot of rap and I wouldn't say it's as, it's as bad nowadays, but at least for, you know, early 2000s type of rap, I would say it glorified that stuff a little bit too much. And that's why I think a lot of people don't like rap now because they think it's all gangster rap, which is just ridiculous. But, you know, it's that small little segment of rap has turned people off. And, you know, guys like J. Cole or J. Cole and Q that are able to come out and show like this, like we cannot glorify this. Like people are dying because of this life. And it's, and I don't remember what song it was on, but later it towards the end of this track or the, this album, he talks about how, you know, Crips and Bloods need to just come together and be friends and, and end this shit because mm-hmm. it's not helping anyone. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that especially grow up in those two uh, gangs, they're never going to respect the other side. Mm-hmm. But Q is almost coming from their perspective. Like, you know, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Mm-hmm. And if we don't stop this violence, like it's it's going to be over for all of us. So we just need to come together and and end this shit and smoke a joint <laughs> yeah. because, you know, it's 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 too much. Well, that's like a good take on growth too, Hughes. It's it's almost as if like, gro- well, it is that growth is a never ending process. Growth is not a destination that you reach because you're always going to have kind of whatever it is, whatever that you're trying to grow from pulling you back. And so it's kind of like that realization uh, in, from Q's in that, you know, these, these tendencies, these habits are always going to be around and you're never going to reach a point to where that like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I could go back to this because it's like you're falling right back into the cycle, like you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And and I think Blank Face as a whole, I mean, there's definitely some some gang banging type of, of music on here, but it, it feels like he's moved past it and he's 
a lot of it I think is more about kind of the fame um, and that side of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the sound is a little bit more upbeat throughout is mm-hmm. because he's not fo- he's not focused on that dire storytelling of his childhood as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he still feels necessary to, to squeeze that stuff in there because again, it's part of who he is. And I think, and as we'll see on Crash Talk next week, he, he always has to mention it a little bit because it, it's part of who he is and it's part of, you know, why he's been able to grow to this point is realizing the negatives of some of that stuff. And, and he wants to help other people do the same. And so uh, to end this kind of discussion on these two albums, what, what's the difference? What's the main difference between Oxymoron and Blank Face? And my opinion is it's kind of like two sides of the same coin where he just kind of flipped 100% to music on blank face. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, he has those parts of him that are always going to be around, but the, the, the focus is more on the music in comparison to the, the gangster, the gangster life. So what, what's the difference for you, Hughes? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think, I want, I kind of want to make a comparison to Travis Scott with rodeo and Astro World, mm-hmm. and you know this is no disrespect to Birds in the Trap. It's just not my favorite of his, and it's kind of squeezed in between those two for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of look at the same. Like rodeo, I loved rodeo because it was a storytelling album. Like we we get to see you know where he came from and how he got to this point of success. And the production throughout is just mm-hmm. really complimentary to the, to the music. And that's kind of how I feel about oxymoron. You know, it's like, it's just through and through solid and mm-hmm. it's something you can really sit and listen to and like deconstruct some of the things he's talking about and, and understand as an artist who he is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for Travis Scott, Astroworld, there's a handful of gems in there as far as lyrics. I mean, Travis Scott's never been known as much of a lyricist anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I liked rodeo. Cause I thought he did a good job with it, but really everything else he's done, it's just kind of been production based and that's understandable. Cause he was a producer before becoming a rapper. So it's understandable why he has such heavy emphasis on the sound and Astro world is that's, that's what it is. Like it's like a layback or sit in your car and just vibe type of album. And that's how I feel about blank face too. It's like, as you mentioned, it's something you can more kind of just have fun to and sit back and, and you don't have to digest a ton. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, there's a handful of messages throughout, but it, it's really more about the sound of it. And again, there's, there's a bunch of songs on these, uh, on this album that are going into my hype playlist or already have been, mm-hmm. I mean, straight ball. And I threw into the playlist immediately, immediately. immediately. It's, it's just, instant banger like you know right off the bat like Mm -hmm. you're gonna love that song and that's that's how a lot of these songs on the album are it's it's more sound based than than lyric based and and again i don't have a problem with that i i still think i prefer oxymoron personally but i really enjoy blank face and i'm definitely going to come back to it because i think it's just a great listen throughout yeah, I'm going to come back to them both, Hughes. Uh, and it's it's all about the mute, mood that I'm in, really. Uh, if, if if I want to get uh, picked up a little bit if, or if I'm driving, you know, just started a shift at my pizza delivery place, I'm going to throw on Blank Face or Oxymoron, get, a, get, get the music to give me a better vibe, you know? And so uh, leading us into next week, Hughes, I know you have experience with – crash talk me not so much not at all and i try to keep it that way this week because uh, i really want to kind of do album by album like we do in this podcast and so uh question for you uh to me and then maybe some of the listeners who haven't dived into crash talk what 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 should i expect what what kind of mindset should i go in with well i would say it's um I would almost say it's a mix of these two albums where you get a good story, pretty consistent story and pretty thematic throughout. Um, There's, there's a little bit of a mixture of the theme, but 
I just think it's a it's a great sounding record. I mean, like I'm as soon as we end this pod, I'm I'm going back to it. Like I'm getting to work because mm-hmm. it's it's a it's something that I, it's an album I always come back to and I always love listening to because it's you get a little bit of the roller coaster action. Like it's just a it's a fun listen in a lot of points, and uh, I, I'm excited to dive more into it. Yep, so we got Crash Talk coming up next week, but I would uh, be mistaken not to mention uh, that we are recording this on Thursday, May 14th, or May 13th, J. Cole's new album drops tomorrow, Friday, May 14th. So I'm thinking we're going to hit a uh, a pod about the off-season, the new J. Cole album, after we're done with Q. But I wanted to hear your take on the one song he has dropped so far, Interlude. Wow. I mean, if I, I don't know necessarily what to expect from this album, but interlude just hits so much differently. His flow, his production. And so what 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 can you expect for the off season as an album? What do you expect? And then what did interlude do for you? Man, I I don't know what to expect, honestly. Like Interlude was a good teaser because yeah. like, like you mentioned, the flow is great and but I, I can't figure out where he's gonna go with it. And I don't know if you watched that little YouTube video I sent the other night yeah. of he had like a mini documentary on YouTube talking about uh building up to this. And he mentioned, I think that middle child is going to be on this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those two songs I think are very similar. And I think kind of shows where he's at where it's like, it's almost a little bit more in your face, which is yeah. kind of different for J Cole. Um, I think KOD, he, he started getting to that, but past couple of years, some of the singles have been a little bit more in your face and the production is, is uh, a little bit unique as well, where it's, it's a little bit more punchy and interesting. Um, so I'm looking forward to it, man. And, and talk about cover art. Like I can't figure out where the hell he's going with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where he's kind of like standing out in a field with a cloak on and I don't know what he's got like something on fire. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see, man. He's, he's got me kind of confused right now, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> Definitely excited as well. Hughes. excited for crash talk next week as well. Um, and so I think that that takes us into shameless plugs time. Of course, divine rhyme, part of the running hook podcast network. We got a bunch of great pods, uh, Hughes, we're going to start with you, Alex and Dylan, Basketball Power Hour. Last week, Warriors, Celtics, and Bulls. Listen to that one. Really enjoyed it. This week, we got two pods. All rookie teams recording on Wednesday. And the last teams before the playoffs, Raptors, Heat, and Grizzlies. So what can we expect for that, Hughes? Yeah, so the all rookie we recorded yesterday, and it just went up a couple hours ago. Okay. Um, so, so you can go right around and, well, of course, this will this will have been up already, but – you know, you can there, – there's a lot of basketball talk from us um, with, the, you know, the playoffs starting next week, I believe, or the week after. So, it's uh, it's crunch time, baby, and me and Alex are delivering. So, we're going to record uh, a couple hours after this. We're going to finish off the, pre, the regular season discussion. And then next week we've got all NBA and all defense teams as well. So, so two more pods next week too. And then after that, man, it's playoff time. So we'll we'll see if your boy LeBron can uh, come back healthy and and fight out of the play-in seed. Let's pray, man. Let's fucking pray. Uh, Alex and Dylan, basketball power hour. Love those pods. Really, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to listening to the one that came out today. Uh, next up, Lynn Sanity. Uh, what they like, what they don't like with the NBA, uh, with JD Hall in the NBA. Uh, listen to that one. Uh, I think yesterday that was a good one. JD Hall, always uh, a great guest, and I think JD is going to be a, a bigger part of the Lynn Sanity as we head into the playoffs uh, because uh, Bryce is taking a little uh, hiatus. Of course, of course, right before the playoffs start, don't want to talk about the real shit. Give actually, actually, be forced to give great good takes. Um, 
And then on the 17th, they're going to start the discussion of the playing games. Um, then we got Circle City Cinema, Road to Fast Nine, Fat F9. I always mess that up, Hughes. That's a tongue twister, man. Road to F9, Fast Five with JD. And I think they mentioned Voss is filling in for Bryce next week. Um, favorite movies are this week or sometime soon. Uh, favorite movies, Parasite with Dylan. That pod came out. Haven't listened to that. What'd you think? Did you enjoy that pod? Oh, yeah, man. As, as I mentioned last week, Zach is fun to talk about anything with, but movies are his domain, man. So mm-hmm. it was it was great going in depth on that with him. Um, then they got the best picture draft from 90 to 2020, uh, with Alex and Bryce and then boys in the hood 30th anniversary with JD and his brother, Jamal looking forward to that one. I know, uh, Griffith is as well. Uh, and then for the battleground, they had the podcast about the NBA and NFL draft last week with Alex filling in for JD and, uh, Lynn making a surprise appearance. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, T.O.P. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Sometime in the future, who knows? With T.O.P., never, you never really do. But those guys are always good. Always give out good pods. Um, love listening to Gregory and Voss talk about football. And Gregory's been hyping up uh, the IU football Hoosiers for this upcoming season. I know I'm big IU football train ever since I started getting good. So, looking forward to possibly getting some Hoosier talk and T.O.P. And then the non-running hook plugs, of course, as always, Facts and Stats by J.D. Hall. And then One Young Soul to Another from Dylan Hughes, the book. Uh, And then Deke, god damn it, I never remember, never could figure out what Deke's podcast is. But go listen to Deke's podcast. He's he's an affiliate of of the running hook. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to cover it for today's divine rhyme part of the running hook podcast network. Next week we have, um, crash talk by Schoolboy Q to finish our Schoolboy, and then J Cole. And then whatever's after that, we haven't really discussed it yet, but looking forward to seeing who, who we're going to do for the next month. So as always, Hughes, thanks for, uh, sitting and talking music. And then thank you to the listeners for uh, tuning in.